one of the ways I love starting episodes with you, Pam, is uh, just sharing some of the things I've come across recently, mm-hmm. um, just ideas or things that are worth unpacking, maybe at a later date, but they're for sure worth sharing. And we don't necessarily fit this stage right now because our oldest is getting ready to leave for college at the time of this recording. So it's a new stage coming up, definitely. Exciting new Absolutely stage. Absolutely it yes. is. But I was listening to a guy that was talking about when your kids get married, that you're not welcoming a new person to your family. They are starting their own. Mm. As parents, you become extended family. And I think a lot of times we get that backwards. That's We think that an intriguing, you should continue mm-hmm. all of our traditions mm. rather than, no, you're starting your own. You're creating your own system, your own family, your own dynamic. Which we think about so many of the people we talk about that their struggles with in-laws and the expectation of the parents to continue with traditions or things like that. Right. That's a whole different perspective switch to help change that dynamic right. when your kids launch. I love it. I love the idea of just thinking about that perspective and keeping it in mind that we want our kids to grow up and move on and be sufficient and living passionately as well. We do. I want them to want me, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> I want them to want to do my traditions and things because... Well, they Just work guess. for us. They may not work for them. And that's part of what happens with marriage. And that's part of what won't. happens with yes. family. And that's part of what we like to try to unpack and uncover at Passionately Married Podcast is have the conversations that help couples uh, not only help, help with their story, but with their entire family story, too. Because sometimes our framework matters. How we look at things matter. I'd say all the time how we look at things Fair matters. Enough. And that's kind of a nice segue into the today's show uh, is I'm joined by a colleague, friend again, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife is mm-hmm. back on with us again. I think this is the fourth episode with her. Love having her on. And she's a fellow Schnarchian and we have a lot of the same viewpoint and framework. And so it's great to collaborate <laughs> Okay, a lot of people, this might be their first time listening and they don't know what a Schnarchian is. So that's just the guy that really, Corey, patterns his... Most of my training theory, would be directly training under, from so, him. So just a side point there yep, for you. Absolutely. Thanks for the little side point. But we're today we're talking and diving deep into the world of attraction and desire. And how, most importantly, the point we go with with today's episode is, what are you doing at Wayne's? Why does it? sometimes wane? Why does desire Mm. go away? Why does attraction sometimes go Mm -hmm. away? And what do we do about that? Mm. Because first off, cut to the chase, it's normal. It can happen and will happen in a lot of marriages. Ebb and flow. And so it's important to recognize, what do I do about it? And because this topic is so pertinent, uh, everybody gets the full episode today. Ah, nice. So you're welcome to everybody. So nice of you, Dr. (laughs) Allen. But it is one of those things that uh, we want to have good conversations. And this is one that can help frame things for those that are listening. And so in the future, if you want extended content, you can join us at passionatelymarried.net forward slash academy. And here in the summer, summer 23 is that code gets you free the first month if you join on the monthly level. So take advantage of that before August is up, which man, summer is flying by. Yeah. So there's your chance to join for free. And then also save the date, June 13th through 15th is next year's getaway. More details will be coming soon and registration will open soon. So that way you got plenty of time to get your calendar set and come join us in the DFW area. So all that 
That's, this doesn't quite work. All that's coming up in today's show because that's we're not talking about the two ads I just did at the end. We're talking about attraction and desire. So maybe you just lost some attraction with the way this all unfolded. Well, how do you get it back? Stay tuned. <laughs> Everybody's totally confused now. I always appreciate the opportunities to catch up with my guest today, uh, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call you a friend, sure. not just a colleague now, because we've we've known each other quite a bit. Uh, I wanted to have a conversation because one of the things I keep coming across, and I know uh, part of part of your work helped me frame this some um, too, is the whole concept of attraction and desire mm-hmm. of. When you, when you talk about just the uh, iteration of a relationship and how it goes through the years, because mm-hmm. obviously I think most people would agree when it starts, it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> if, if if there's an attraction there, it's easy. Yes. If it's not an attraction, it's a quick lived relationship. Yes. But inevitably, it seems like it relationships hit that phase of where did it all go? Yeah. What what happened? Now I'm not attracted as like I used to be or the desire has gone. Yes. Or things have shifted, and I just wanted to pick your brain sure. and have a have a dialogue about what's going on here. Yeah, you know what what's the what's this whole thing going on, and how do we navigate it well? Good, and maybe I'll work out some of my own thoughts as we talk about it. <laughs> well, I, you and me both, girls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because because one of the things I got from you was I believe it's Terry Rial's uh, framework of the love without knowledge, yes, knowledge without love. love that then spins into the ultimate goal of love with knowledge. Knowledge, yes. And so uh, let's unpack that real quick because some people might be unfamiliar with it. Yeah, well, so yeah, Terry Real talks about. Um, uh, I trained with Terry uh, sort of in the beginning of my work and. I think he writes about it also in his book. Um, oh, I suddenly can't think of the name. Um, I'll think of it in a second. <laughs> but he talks about three phases no of a relationship, right? As you talked about love without knowledge, knowledge without love, and knowing love or love with knowledge. So in the knowledge, in the love without knowledge is that phase of falling in love. And it's driven by, you know, just ton of dopamine floods the brain. It feels amazing. We feel this attraction and resonance and desire that mm-hmm. is happening to us. And we're not really choosing it. In fact, sometimes it's very inconvenient, you know, because it just kind of comes out of nowhere and there it is and you feel it. And some people dismiss this phase or they marry somebody that they don't ever have that with, which creates its own troubles, which we could talk about if we want to. But but I think there's a strong biological component to this, at least according to um, I heard John Gottman speak about this one. So I don't rem- I don't know specifically what research he was referencing, if it was his own or others, but but about how there's a percentage of people that we will feel like a visceral, a small percentage of people that will feel like a visceral attraction to and okay. others that we will not. And I think, you know, there's something to do with like different pheromones and biology. And there, we tend to be attracted to people that our kids will have a stronger immune system. Right. So there's some elements we, we tend to be attracted. If you look at wedding announcements, I think often people look like they could be siblings. So there's a familial element mm-hmm. to it also, which I think is like the people you've mm-hmm. loved tended to look like this prototype. So there is, yeah, something. don't we, don't we often go like, like goes after like yeah, in a lot of ways often. and you know, it makes sense to us and how they yes. look, how they operate, That's right. where it's they intuitive. live, et cetera, et cetera. It's intuitive. Like I remember when I first met my husband, like I had this feeling like, 
like I would know how to love him and it would, I don't know how to say that. Like, that sounds sort of strange to say it like that, but it just felt intuitive. Mm -hmm. And like, mm -hmm. and some people say, well, that was, it means it's meant to be or that it's divinely sanctioned or something. And I mean, I'm not here to say, I know that's right. not true, but I think there's also a biological kind of resonance. I think we're also drawn to difference in this phase, which is, you know, the introvert tends to be drawn to the extrovert and vice versa. The person that's very spontaneous mm -hmm. is often drawn to the more stable or predictable one. And I think that's valuable for having children to have the sort of resources across capacities. Mm -hmm. It's also what in the knowing the knowledge without love phase becomes like the annoying things, the things that kill attraction. So it's often the very things in the beginning that drive it, that can kill it. And we can talk about that because I would mm -hmm. say there's, there's a difference between this sort of attraction happening to you and a desire that's more choice-based, that's investment-based that Dr. Schnarch talked about a lot. So I think making some distinction there. But the point, my, my larger point here is that desire happens to you and it's in the beginning and it's important. And when couples don't have it, it is harder. Like some people say, oh, that's just about mm -hmm. sexuality and therefore it's less than love. And I completely disagree with that because attraction in marriage is important. Um, but assuming that attraction is there in the beginning, that what often happens is reality of the limitations of the other person, the way they're different than you, the way they don't validate you at every turn like they did in the beginning, right? So just in the beginning, you're like, this person's looking at me like I'm the most amazing person and I'm reflecting it right back mm -hmm. to them. And so there's this mutual validation going on in the beginning, especially when there's not a lot of reality to deal with. But when mm -hmm. you get married and you now have a mortgage or you have kids and you start having these issues of different realities, different desires, I want this, stop telling me what to do. <laughs> this, How do we blend right. two right. lives in a meaningful way? And because that asks us to sacrifice aspects of ourselves to make room for another person, right? I think that that process can be soul-stretching and if we are not careful, many of us go into marriage thinking, you owe me love. Okay, I'm locking in somebody mm -hmm. who's going to love me like a parent, only better. And so it they shouldn't want this thing. And the way they want to do Christmas is stupid, okay? And they've got the wrong idea. And And so we start pounding on our partner to kind of be like us or reinforce us. Or we just start mm -hmm. yielding to try to make the other person happy. But it starts to drive a meaning that kills attraction and kills desire. And so in okay. the knowledge without love phase, that where you know a lot about your partner, but you're not sure you feel so much good feelings about them, this is where attraction tends to plummet. And because mm -hmm. resentment kicks in. Why can't you be more like my dad, right? Why are you wanting this thing from me? It's the wrong thing to want. Um and that sense, so in the beginning, the, your new partner has, it, like Dr. Schnarch would talk about, uh, we want to belong to ourselves more than we want to have sex. And in that first phase, that person makes you feel bigger, better. They're, they're connected to possibility. This person right. loves everything about me. So you feel attraction and right. connection. But when you get to know a lot about them now, it's like, well, okay, they want, they, they, 
they want the house to be cleaner than I like. And they're so picky about it. And so it starts to be connected to a feeling of losing yourself. Now I need to do it their way or they're always upset with me. Right. <laughs> or they want to have sex right. at a different pace that I want to have sex. And I feel, you know, that that limits my happiness. And so because they mm-hmm. start to be connected to a sense of constriction or loss of self, then often resentment kicks in and desire goes down. Now, that's not the only reason it can go down. I can, right. there's another reason, but no, that's dominant, but that's a big reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think this, cause what you're describing here is that natural evolution of a longer term relationship where, you know, I've always used the terminology of in a long term committed relationship, you can't hide right. as the time goes by, right. you know, they, if, exactly. if, particularly if, if one or both of you are paying attention, right? You can't you can't hide who you are. That's right. That will be seen. That's right. And it, elements of you won't be liked. Exactly. Either. And people who are inclined to have multiple affairs are basically looking for that first phase because that's all they can get. So that is, I want the easy validation of that initial attraction, that initial initial sex. Excuse me, that initial sexual experience, because they don't really know me. I don't know mm-hmm. them. And, um, mm-hmm. if I'm someone who's willing to lie and cheat and so on, you know, anybody that really knows me is not going to feel be too validating of that. So people that are chronically looking for right. that shallow validation are wanting to stay in that first phase. But of course, while that's human and understandable on some level, because it feels so good, you never have the sense of being really known and desired really mm-hmm. someone who's invested in knowing who you are and, and having any peace in that reality. And so the natural evolution is in a sense, the refiner's fire that's like, okay, like I'm starting to expose who I am and who you are. And there's some ugly parts here and there's some incongruent parts here. And are we willing to be invested enough in a commitment to one another, to this marriage, mm-hmm. to this sexual partnership to work some of this out in an honest and fair way, a way that you can thrive and I can thrive. Most of us resist that process and pay a big price in terms of the quality of the marriage and the sexual relationship. Yeah. And when you say there's also, uh, there's something I just talked about in a recent episode uh, that Pam and I did, that there's also a component of what's being challenged is my commitment to my marriage, but it's also what's being challenged is my commitment to myself. Right. Because there's a, there, there's a, it's, it's, it's going on simultaneously, right. That I, I have a dual relationship (laughs) almost with self and other, right. You know, what we're creating together and what's being challenged of me, but how far, I mean, that's what Schnarch would always talk about is I only go so far of giving up, giving up myself. And then I'll hit a point of like, no, I will stand up for me. Yeah, right? I'll and, give for a while, but then that's what you're talking about. Resentment and some of that struggle can come in because then eventually it'll be like, that's enough. I'm standing up. And sometimes it's an overreaction when I do so. Exactly. So I do a podcast, a subscription podcast called Room for Two, and I'm working with couples doing coaching around mm-hmm. the challenges that are in their relationship around working out some of these questions around sexual intimacy and emotional intimacy And the reason I call it room for two is, of course, the double entendre there. But the idea of how do we create room Mm -hmm. for two of us to thrive? Those are the happy marriages. 
according to all the good research, is that Mm -hmm. people that feel like they can belong to themselves and expand their sense of self in a marriage are the happiest. People that feel like they have to close down important parts Mm -hmm. of themselves. But of course, the important question is, 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 is my standing up for this about me holding on to my dignity and something important in this marriage? Or am I just being selfish and bulldozing the other person? Which one is it, right? Like, and we don't often know, like, am I asking for too much or too little? (laughs) Is the person's resistance because I'm just Mm -hmm. unfair and I'm too, you know, too focused on my own demands? Or is the person resisting because they don't want to make room for the best in me? And, you know, I think part of the way we find the answers is how to, you know, it's like pushing like, okay, am I giving too little? What really helps my partner to thrive? What is honest and good in the other person? And I need to respect it. One way we can kind of get closer to this Mm -hmm. is what initially drew me to this person? Because a lot of times what drew us to the other person were the very things that are different from us that then we want to squash when it's inconvenient for us. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. right. You know, like I was drawn to my husband's general kind of ease of being in the world, like just more laid back than me. I came from a family that was pretty driven and so on. My husband's very intelligent and, and thoughtful and reads a lot, but it was like his kind of a comfort in life and ability to be sort of thoughtful and talk through ideas with me that I was very, very drawn to. But that ease, like then I would sort of bring this demand that was kind of placed on me as a kid, like that you have to produce and do things. And then I would want him to be somebody who was producing and doing things because that was a reinforcement of a value (laughs) that I liked and resented at the same time. Right. You know what I mean? So it was like, don't do that Mm -hmm. to him. That's never who he was. It's exactly the person I chose was somebody that wasn't like that. And I'm being ridiculous and unfair. Let him be who he is. So it was like me growing myself up a bit to let him be who he is and to not and to value that quality. That's something that mattered to me. And um, anyway, that's just one version of it. But yeah. Yeah. No, because I think that's that's part of the whole crucible that Schnarch uses the term of, of relationship in the sense that. What's being challenged is both members within that as well as the relationship. That's right. Exactly. And that's a natural thing. And that's where I think what we're, the way we started this conversation is it's not at all surprising to think that attraction and desire will wane as you get deeper and deeper into the fire, quote unquote. Yeah. And then you're faced with now shifting it the way I love your terminology of it's desire and attraction initially start happens to us. Yeah. But then the ultimate goal is make it to where it's the choice from us. Right. That's right. And, you know, and that's what Terry Real talks about that, too. That third phase is choice based. And, you know, we have to be differentiated enough to be capable of making a choice. A lot of times the way we get married is more out of a need for reinforcement, a desire for reinforcement of who we are. Come and prop me up and tell me I'm amazing. And I need you to tell me I'm okay Mm -hmm. for me to feel okay. That's how most of us get married. But it's it has a short half life and it starts to you you find quickly you can't get that reinforcement. Usually if the marriage is healthy, you're going to find places you cannot get it. And that pressures mm-hmm. us to start to self-validate and to start looking more honestly at ourselves and to figure out where we feel that we're not being fair and, and decent and where we can stand behind our positions more strongly. But what happens then is you're more in a position to say, I choose this person who sometimes 
drives me crazy, who sometimes disappoints me. But I choose really to bring my best to this person, to bring to create a good sexual relationship with them, to value them, to create something that is compelling. I mean, that's really it. You're co-creating mm -hmm. a compelling relationship. You're co-creating meaning that makes your spouse desirable. My spouse is 64 years old now. I mean, maybe from an objective sensibility, he's not attractive, but from my point of view, he's very, very attractive <laughs> because in part of the meaning yeah. of who this person is in my life, how he's, you know, the primary witness of my life, the person that has cared so much about me, the positive and expansive experience of a good sexual relationship, of course he's attractive, right? And it's not just based on mm -hmm. some physical ideal. It's based on a meaning that we have created together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the deeper thing, right? Because then you're moving it into this element of it's beyond something that's the superficial initial. Yes. Even though there's stuff like you alluded to earlier that um, there's still something that makes sense, which is usually the deeper. Yes. Right. It's it's that element of familial. It's that element of understandable or common experience yeah, or, and the beauty or in it. what what have you. The beauty right. in the other soul. And then when you, know? you get deeper into mm -hmm. it, yeah, when you get deeper into it, then it's all of a sudden those deeper aspects of our being yes. and existence, which is impact, meaning, value. What really matters you know, in Things life. that really do drive us. That's right. Right. Things that separate us from just other things that happen That's in right. the world that it's like, Oh, I've seen that now. Okay, that makes more sense. And I think most of the time, the people I come across that really struggle and wrestle with this are the ones that haven't seen it through that lens. They just think, uh, it's attraction's gone. Right. It's over. Broken. Well, and you owe me validation. Wrong. And why don't you? Why don't? Why haven't you given me the life that I wanted? Or why haven't you given me the the sense of self that I wanted you to give me? And if you had been a good husband, you would have done X, Y, and Z. And, you know, just mm -hmm. the immaturity of that position. A lot of people hang on to that resentfully for life. And that's how they do marriage. And even if they stay married, that's how they do it. And mm -hmm. um, and they don't ever get to that phase of choice. And they don't they aren't able to see the beauty that's there. Well, they don't create it. And so there isn't a lot of beauty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, just my mom in this phase of of being sick, all the meaning is so high. You know, we had family gather to be with her over this last weekend and just so much beauty and good there. Like that is so much appreciation and valuing and gratitude mm -hmm. and acknowledgement of her children, of her children-in-law of, and um, just how precious life is and how precious love is. And mm -hmm. it requires a kind of ability to see what is good and what is beautiful. And if we're so caught up in our own egos and our own demands, we can't see it. Yeah. And a lot of yeah. us do marriage yeah. that way. And we lose, we really lose the good that can be there. Yeah, that's that's a great way to frame it because you're it's recognizing how often we see things only through our lens as it impacts and affects and goes according to my plan rather than what about right. what about the fact that I'm part of a larger something. Mm -hmm. You know, cuz you got exactly. the human race. Yes. Exactly. I I owe some decency to others, right. but I also have my family, 
I have the people I've chosen to be in relationship with. I have neighbors. I have colleagues. You know, there's something I'm a larger, I'm a part of a larger story, a larger something. That's right. Exactly. When I can recognize and orient appropriately to that, that gives a different kind of energy and drive, hopefully. That's absolutely. So like in the, in the New Testament, Christ says something, or I think it's, I'm trying to remember where it said, but basically we lose ourselves to find ourselves. And um, maybe it's the Sermon on the Mount. So you lose yourself to find yourself. Well, Mm -hmm. a lot of people think that means you just like martyr and then you just let people walk all over you and Mm -hmm. then you're going to find yourself in the next life and you're going to get a big reward. But I, I don't think that's the meaning of it you lose your ego. And by ego, I mean this kind Mm -hmm. of demand about how people should see me, how people should feel about me, my preoccupation with how I'm understood or seen or, and that's normal in the beginning part of our lives. It's a normal way to get married. But as Schnarch talked about marriage as a growth promoting machine, I can't remember how he used to say that, but you know, that basically you can use the dyadic strains of marriage to grow yourself Mm -hmm. up. I'm demanding too much. I demand Mm -hmm. too much reinforcement. I'm not a very kind person. I really need to be more loving and caring for other people. I mean, marriage will show you that part of yourself and, or where you don't stand Mm -hmm. up for yourself enough, right. Or where you don't hold on to your own Mm -hmm. dignity enough and it exposes our distortions. But ultimately we grow out of that self preoccupation to, as you say, Corey, be invested in the, the collective, in the marriage, in the family, in the group, not because you don't matter, mm-hmm. but you're letting go of that self-preoccupation. And that's where you find yourself. Like that is you feel whole, connected. Mm-hmm. You know you matter, as does everyone around you. You know that you are significant and the group is so important to your well-being. And you can hold on to both. You know, I remember Schnarr saying something like anybody that screws with their support system screws with themselves, right? If you, if you basically go looking for self-reinforcement at the expense of your marriage, at the expense of your family, you pay a massive price, even in your own sense of dignity and well-being, and you don't have friends if you mistreat the people around you. Mm -hmm. And so there are two sides of the same coin of like, how do I be fair to myself and the marriage? How do I be fair to myself and the group? And that's a fundamental tension, but one that drives us out of ego, but into wholeness and into meaning, and that drives mm-hmm. long-term desire. Like Schnarch's focus was desire in long-term relationships. How do you grow into somebody capable right. of desire and not like, oh, I've got the hots for you desire. No, no problem with having the hots for your partner. <laughs> okay. But, but like, I, I choose you. I value you. I cherish you in my life. I'm grateful to have you here next to me. You are a significant Mm -hmm. friend and person that I care about, and I'm going to treat fairly and well to the best of my ability. That's desire. And it's driven by choice. And it's out of um, when we're moving out of ego reinforcement demands into care to actually loving out of choice. Mm -hmm. So have you have you seen I'm curious this maybe, maybe this goes off the rails with this kind of a framework mm. right now mm. of of where I'm trying to lead it in, yeah. a, in a sense but have you seen uh both in the work you do and then also uh the fact that you're female 
there's it, this impacts men and women differently on, on what it requires of them, what's challenged in them, what their route might be. Is there any variance in there? Um, well, I think if I were to speak stereotypically, because it, it doesn't always fit the stereotype, but if I were to speak of women as a whole and men as a whole in traditional marriage, mm-hmm. because I work with a lot of traditional couples because I work with Latter-day Saints a lot. Um, <clears throat> I would say that uh, women, so I have a women's course called The Art of Desire, which is about self and sexual development, and a men's course called Art of Loving, which is about self and sexual development and how to become someone more capable of of intimate sexuality, right? So the reason why those mm-hmm. courses are named as they are is it's the vulnerability of each so women are often sort of more intuitively and biologically wired to be self-sacrificing. I think this helps keep babies alive, right? Yeah. Women are waking up in the middle of the night in part because I think they're more wired to track, right? They're tracking the minds of other mm-hmm. people more than men do. Men often think, hey, I don't even care what people think. It's partly because they're not even tracking what other people think. Okay, So I think men are often not as mm-hmm. tuned in. And women can be so tuned in that it can be handicapping, right? They can track everybody and feel kind of handicapped by what everybody thinks about them. The strength in that <clears throat> is the ability to attend to other people's needs and desires and and be a caregiver, which is a big deal significant right. to society, significant to the well-being of society, often undervalued unfairly, but highly, highly valuable work. The vulnerability for women often is their self in that dynamic, being able to hold a sense of their own desires. What matters to me? What is the self-development that is important for me to do? Not just what does everyone need from me? And so women's Mm -hmm. development often goes initially into that sort of self-sacrificing, but as they grow, starting to make more room for for themselves within their lives, within their group. Now, this is not all, sometimes this is men that do this and, and they're giving too much. Absolutely. I mean, well, let's, well, yes. So there's always that. Keep it to, we'll keep it stereotypical just for the sake of the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. For men often they're more, you know, if I, if I want to sell courses online, I'll sometimes advertise. If I say to women, buy a gift for yourself this mother's day, nobody clicks, no women click on it. You say to men, buy a gift for yourself for father's (laughs) day, click, 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 click. Okay. (laughs) If you say to women, you know, invest in your family and, or invest in your sexual relationship, they'll do it because it's like, okay, I need to do that for my marriage. So, you know, so I kind of will, will right. appeal to people's strong suit, but to help them develop the other side. Yep. For men, it's the art of loving. How do you actually, maybe maybe you're, you like sex and maybe you don't have any anxieties about sex, right? Like maybe your partner does, but, um, or maybe you have fewer than you think. Okay. But, but you don't, that's not your vulnerability, but being invested, learning to love through sexuality, learning to invest in another partner, not the nice guy who's trying to just get reinf- you know, get, get approval through sex, yep. not that whole thing, but like actually invested in the well-being of your partner. How do you learn to sacrifice in a way that's solid and good for the collective? And um, for many mm-hmm. men, that's not as intuitive uh, as the question of what do I desire? What do I want? What is my ambition? What am I going for? And so, again, that's a real strength, right? Society needs that kind of focus, that sense of mission, that sense of goal-oriented behavior, but it often can be at the sacrifice of relationships. And so how 
as men grow, how do you develop this other capacity? Because women who love sex are with a partner that they know is invested in them. This is women's fantasies is that man chooses me, not because he likes sex. He likes sex with me. And he knows me and he cares about me. As Esther Perel says, the quickest way to a woman's vagina is through her head. I think something like that. That is to say to know her, uh, to know what she matters to her. And, um, and so, you know, that learning how to not just care if you're going to get sexual reinforcement, but care about the woman herself. So that's, that's often the different pathways that people grow in development and uh, grow and develop. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think what, what you're pointing out is there can be a, a gender based um, strength and weakness that's going right. on. And what's being exposed right. in the relationship is the weakness. That's right. Exactly. Um, right. Because you, uh, something you alluded to and stated earlier is, you know, our, our spouse's job they don't think we don't think of it this way, but a lot of times our spouse will inherently expose the aspects of us that are underdeveloped right. or are anxiety ridden, exactly. <laughs> or you know, whatever it might be. And then when they take a break, I like use the phrase: when our spouse takes a break, our kids step in mm-hmm. and That's expose right. more. That's right. Or keep or pick up the keep baton and yep. keep going. Because yep. um, one, yeah, because one of the things I've noticed uh, with a our oldest uh, girl just graduated high yep. school. So she heads off as we're recording this in about a oh month to, to college yeah. a couple States away. Yep. And so I'm noticing Pam uh, it's not clingy, but she's upped the, I want to capture every moment, moment sure. possible quotient yeah. <laughs> with her. Whereas I've noticed what I battle is, not pushing away. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because it's kind of like, I see the pain coming. So I, I'm yep. just, I'm going to avoid because that's right. what gets exposed exactly. in me is a natural tendency of, I don't want to deal with the hard and the grief and the loss that is coming. Yep. So exactly. I'll just push it away yeah. and avoid. And, and, and I think that's a natural aspect at, at play here yes. of, that's the dynamic of a relationship is right. it's challenging ourselves when all too often, if I'm not at my best, right. I blame my partner for even exposing exactly. that. Well, I blame them for bringing that up or wanting whatever it is or right. reacting the way they're reacting rather than, no, that's just a natural exactly. thing. Exactly. And couples often do, they, they work out a dynamic between them without recognizing they're taking up two sides of the same tension. So that is to say, like, let's say that Pam were avoidant. Well, you might get more moving in towards your daughter. Let's go do this together. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like you kind of balance out the need. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, totally. And, and then you look totally. at the other person and say, what's wrong with you? And this is very typical. Like one will be the heavy <laughs> with the kid. One will be the, the, the merciful one. And the more that each entrenched, yep. the more they sort of justify the other rather than, look, we're kind of playing out our our ambivalence, our shared collective ambivalence. And maybe we can forgive each other a little more mm-hmm. and forgive ourselves a little more for for having this ambivalence or uncertainty so that you don't vilify well, the other Yeah, because I think that's – mm-hmm. Right, because there's such a systemic thing going on, right. right? Because I, as you're as you're talking through this, I'm even thinking what's happened is our youngest, who's 16, he's upped the the edgy, grumpy, yes. reactive, curt, yes, 
mentality, which that's a factor in this thing too, because he's playing off like he's not going to miss her, but they're best friends. Yeah. <laughs> right. They've, they've loved being with each other. They do a yeah. lot together. And it's just this whole thing. Sure. As I'm sitting here thinking through this, looking at it from a different lens now, yeah. that's a natural thing. So how do we lean into that is basically our opportunity right. for all of us to grow that's right. or for sure, at least me. Yes. And just appreciate it for what it is, you know, that like, and, and forgive mm-hmm. ourselves. That's the, that's the best antidote because it actually softens it rather than get, why are you being so edgy and mean, you know, knock it off. Yeah. What, right. <laughs> rather, you know, again, like just going through the difficult period <laughs> right. with my mom, I can see like my lesser self emerge in times when I'm not expecting it and, or seeing it in others. And yep. the more like slack you can cut everybody, just like, it's just not easy. And the more we can just forgive ourselves and each other, yeah. the better this is going to go. And really, it's like a big, heavy hit of compassion when life is about giving us grief and loss and and even intimacy and our ambivalence about intimacy and closeness. We can do all these things. So. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I was going to I had another thought. Yeah, because I think I think it's important. Go ahead. Oh, if if it comes to you, interrupt me. But I think it's important that the the words you just mentioned of compassion that that that's one of those things that uh, I think that's, if I look at, it's not necessarily a hierarchy, but maybe that's the best way to think of it. That's higher up there because that's almost a choice that I'm granting. You know, it's like, it's a, it's something I have to like orient towards. It's not just necessarily natural. That's right. Well, that's how I think of, you know, I think of ego as the enemy to joy. And I think of compassion as the friend to joy. And so if you think about like what I think of as the best in Christian theology is the idea that compassion and love leads us into beauty and freedom, leads us into joy. And so compassion Mm -hmm. is not natural. Now, attachment is natural. You know, desire to be close to others is natural. It's just born is inbred. Okay. But that's very different than compassion Mm -hmm. and love, which is to truly be capable of forgiving ourselves for our human condition, to forgive another person for their difficulty, their, their challenges in love, their self preoccupation and to forgive ourselves. And I don't mean like, Oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Kind of compassion, not flippancy, no, not, not at flippancy, all. but just right. mercy, just kindness that like, look, yeah. these things are, life is not easy. We do lesser things, myself included. And can I bring a good dose of forgiveness to this project? And we keep trying and keep striving to love better, to care better, to care about others and to forgive ourselves as well. Because I think that is the, the end, that is what drives togetherness is that, that merciful connection with one another. And so um, I think love leads the way into truth, into truthful living, into truthful relationship, into the capacity for intimacy the capacity to really invest in another person and care about them. But it pushes us to be better people, pushes us to be stronger, to be capable of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Which then leads us into how we started this whole conversation of that's how, in a lot of ways you can then make it a chose, a chosen desire, right. a, a chosen, yes. You know, I, I embody it. Exactly. Better rather than it's something that's just coming to me. I was speaking to my brother recently and about, you know, he's bringing up marriage and differences between men and women or something like that. And I said, you know, when you really think about it, like marriage is a big ask. 
I mean, in this, <laughs> like, I, you know, I know mm-hmm. I and girlfriends would think like, oh, when we get married someday, we're going to be like sitting on the swings, holding hands, like these really over the top romantic ideals that are completely unrealistic. You know, I was watching Jane Austen film recently and, and they're great, but they really are porn for women. Okay. Like that is <laughs> unrealistic portrayals of male proposals. And, okay. and my brother was saying, yeah, those things are terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, make, give, make us have no chance. Right. Uh, what a lot of women say about pornography for men is like, these are unrealistic portrayals and so on. Um, but you know, what often we want reinforcement around as women and what men often want reinforced are really not going to be readily offered to us in marriage. And so we're kind of coming in with these colliding, a self-reinforcing anticipations. And then marriage shows up and, and uh, gives us a good shake and a good dose of reality. And then it's come right. down to, am I going to choose this suffering or am I going to resent it and resist it? Am I going to lean yeah. in? You know, when I, I often think about this when I'm, exercising and I'm thinking about oh, 10 more minutes will be over, be over. It just gets worse. If I'm like lean in and embrace the difficulty, mm-hmm. it gets easier. And it's similar with marriage, like lean in and embrace the, the hard, embrace the challenge of this and grow from it. Use it, use the suffering to become a better human, right. a better, more loving person. Let it teach me about myself. Let it be, teach me about what is true and learn to build a bridge across these differing worlds and grow into an, a greater sense of oneness in purpose. That's not just about ego reinforcement, but about who we can be as two different people and how we can truly grow to be people capable yeah. of friendship. And it's beautiful because it's a sexual friendship as well, or it can be if we choose it. And so that's like the good stuff. That's where all the mm-hmm. rich desire is. And it's desire based in strength, not just ego uh, reinforcement. Yeah. Now that's, that is so good. So Jennifer, how can, how can people find you? Obviously uh, I'll, I, I promote your stuff. I talk about you <laughs> because you have really, really good stuff, Thank but you. what's the best way for, yeah, the, well, for those that are just now hearing you sure. first to find you? Well, the probably the best way. So if you've never heard me before and you want to just know more of the way I think, you can go just listen to a free podcast I do, which is conversations like this. And it's called, if you go on, so first of all, go to my website, which is finlayson-fife.com. And under the podcast tabs, there is just conversations with Dr. Jennifer. And there are conversations like this in which I'm talking about aspects of faith, relationships, sexuality, intimacy, desire, differences, all those good right. things. Um, I, on there also, I have my Room for Two podcast where I'm working with couples. Now, I do a lot of work with LDS couples, but it's not, it's the way I sound today, which is I'm talking about Christian themes and sometimes, but mm-hmm. primarily mm-hmm. these human differences and how we grow into people capable of love and desire. So I have that Room for Two podcast you can subscribe to and listen to me working with real couples who have pseudonyms and distorted voices, but nonetheless real couples um, in how to apply a lot of the principles I teach, um, to the real day-to-day life of marriage. And then I also have five online courses, uh, around how to either talk to your kids about sex and help them develop sexual integrity, which I explain there what that is, but then also how to grow into, a, a emotionally intimate and sexually intimate marriage. Those are all courses based to, or to facilitate yeah. that goal. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I recommend them highly because it's, it's, you frame things really, really well and your perspective and it's, it's practical yeah. in the sense that uh, the thing I love just, you know, having been trained with Schnars too is, it's not a formula. It's just a way to look at things yeah. and then do it better. Exactly right. <laughs> right. I, it's not a A plus B will equal C. That's right. Right. Instead, it's absolutely look at look at this through a different lens, and that's then exactly. we get a better power. To, I say that to, to people all the time. Like at the beginning of the workshops, is just you know, this is about shifting. It's not a lack of trying. You've been trying to address your marriage or your lack of desire or the challenges in your sexual relationship. So it's not about a lack of trying. It's that you may be likely trying from a paradigm, from a meaning frame that will not allow you to change or address the problem. And I want to give you a different way to look at the same issues that opens up all kinds of possibilities. So I'm kind of taking down the old inherited meaning and giving people a new way to think about what's happening and what they can do. And it's helpful for people because they are suddenly like, okay, now I know what I can do. Now I get what the problem is and what my role is in addressing it. And that can be a huge relief. And they start to also see meaningful shifts happening in themselves and in their marriage. And it's a big deal. So it's, it's satisfying to facilitate that. Well, Jennifer, I appreciate so much the opportunity to connect with you again and look forward to more in the future. Great. Thank you, Corey. It's so helpful to me to just get reminders of the fact that there are just natural, normal dynamics that happen in marriage. And a lot of the things that we have that happen that aren't necessarily what we would deem as good, we would maybe label it as broken, mm-hmm. actually can be normal. Mm. It's a natural yeah. thing that what drew us together will drive us crazy. High desire, low desire, low desire. I feel I felt like I was broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wasn't. And it's also a natural thing to recognize that just away from this conversation that when it went was with Terry Rial's work of knowledge, love without knowledge, knowledge without love, and Mm -hmm. then knowing love are the stages we're trying to grow through. Because as you get to know each other, you see parts of each other. It's like, I don't know if that's as attractive as I thought it would be. (laughs) (laughs) That's a normal thing. Yeah. And so it's important, I think, to recognize the hope would be I can grow through this and we can taste something we've never even tasted yet. Mm-hmm. To me, that's ex- so exhilarating to mm-hmm. think about it's for a long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, if we missed something or left something undone, let us know 214-702-9565 or feedback at passionatelymarried.net. Uh, all the transcripts are available on each of the episode's pages, as well as advertisers, deals, and discounts codes are available at each episode's pages at passionatelymarried.net. So please consider supporting those who help support the show. Thanks again for taking a little bit of time out to spend it with us, and we'll see you again next time.